open to the book of Amos. The book of Amos. Uh, there is, we're going to be looking at quite a few verses today. So if you can turn there, you'll find it on page 970, 971 in your, in your Bibles, in the Pew Bibles. And uh, as we look at this text today, I don't know how many of you know much about Amos. Amos was a guy who lived a long time ago, uh, and uh, he lived in Judah, in the southern kingdom, about 750 years before Christ. Now, in that era, it was not a great time to be alive, although they had just already seen some great ministers like Elisha and Elijah before him. So there was not a... Uh, there was not a dearth of God's word. That's coming. Amos is the one that tells us that there'll be a famine of God's word coming, where there's going to be a silence, so to speak. And that comes with the 400 silent years before Jesus shows, shows up in the New Testament. But as we look at Amos, Amos describes uh, some, some of what God's thoughts are regarding God's people. So when you look back in the Old Testament, you don't just erase it because it's old, you understand, as the catechism teaches us, uh, the, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God, that's vertical, and what duty God requires of man, that's horizontal. And so when we look at the scriptures today, we're going to learn a lot about God vertically, and we're also going to understand some of the ramifications for how we interact with one another. Let us, uh, let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading the portions that are printed in the bulletin. So if you want to follow along, I'll be highlighting. I'm not going to read all of the text, but we'll look at it in just a few moments. As you hear it, you're going to see some poetic, you're going to see some, uh, some structure. You're going to see how eloquent this is actually communicated. And that's why I've abbreviated the text here. We'll be looking at Amos chapter 1, beginning of verse 3, and then skipping several verses as we go along. Verse 3, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. If you jump down to verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza or for four, I will not revoke the punishment. The next verse, nine. Thus says the Lord, for three generations of Tyre, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. I don't know if you're catching on yet. In verse 11, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, or for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Verse 13, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, or for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. I know I sound like a broken record. Verse 4 of chapter 2. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And in verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel... And for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt, away from its land. Hear this word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that you will help us to hear your word today. I pray that we might understand the significance of this repetition of this communication. 
Oh, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us the good news of the gospel this very day from, the, from Amos from many years ago. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Now, I tell you, sometimes pastors don't like to go to the Old Testament prophets because prophets were, let's give you three choices. They were known, they were loved, they were invited to everybody's home. You know, when you think about this, when you think about God's man, the one that he anoints to speak the truth, your reaction is the same as mine. He wouldn't fit in in 2016. Can you imagine if there's a prophet today? What would a prophet do and say to you? You know, this is tough stuff. But Amos was just a shepherd boy. Amos was growing up not too far from where David, King David, had grown up in the fields of Bethlehem. He grew up in the fields of Tekoa, which is just a few miles south. He's from the land of Judah. He's familiar with the same kind of things, except he has a bit more history. Just like we do of the U.S., we have, he had a history of their country before they had a civil war. Now, in their country, they, the North didn't win. Just like in our country, the North did win. And so we still have one country. But down there, the Southerners ended up uh, you know, separating. They never did get back together. And it's going to be evident from, the, from Amos' words why they didn't get back together. So think about that for a moment as we digest this book. I wanted to start the sermon by telling you this week I was standing there at Legislative Hall right in the front steps as I got there for a field trip with my kids and we were going to go and meet one of the congress or one of the senators and we were going to look around. As we came up there there was a big group right on the front steps and they had cameras and stuff and it was a spokesman for Black Lives Matter. Very eloquent. I didn't get to stand there and listen long, but I was asking the question as a Christian, how am I supposed to respond? Is it good for me to stand in the group, to listen? Is it good for me to cheer? Is it good for me to say something against it? What would Jesus have us do? Because the issue that they're raising is, do lives matter? If you look at the front of your bulletin today, you're going to see a beautiful little picture of a little child with more hair than me. This little guy is a reminder of, that, uh, of Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is typically remembered by a lot of Christians uh, on, the, on the fourth week of January. Uh, we didn't have church and all, but usually there's an emphasis. And in our area, one of our missions, uh, one of our local missions is the Sussex Pregnancy Care Center, which is in Georgetown. And so they have their annual fundraiser, their banquet, and they bring Christians together. And it was interesting how they were telling me that lives matter too. Especially they were focused on the little lives, the ones that you don't get to hear cry, but the ones that you can see moving on a sonogram. And they talked about how important it was to to be able to do what you can for these little lives. And they testified that there were over 70 little lives that were spared last year through their ministry through their counsel, through their education, through their compassion of the moms. It was really, really quite powerful. So lives do matter. And our text today tells us the same thing. When Amos is, is telling us this oracle of judgment, he's actually telling us that your life matters. If you didn't matter, there would be no communication to you at all. You would be treated as the flower of the field. It flourishes and it's gone. There is no more communication. God doesn't send prophets to flowers. God sends prophets to people because they matter. 
Now, how do people matter? How do things work together for good? Now, in, in this particular passage, as I said, is 750 years before Christ. Uh, how does he communicate? One of the messages that you're going to see unveil in this passage, which you heard me in my short abbreviated reading of the text, is that there are eight different cultures that are mentioned. Eight societies. There are eight groups that, have, that are being focused on, and who's doing the focusing? God is. God takes notice of people where they are in the groups that they're linked to. And it's really interesting that he doesn't ignore them. He doesn't pretend they don't exist. He actually is intimately aware of their intents, of their passions, of their patterns, of their relics, of their activities. So I want to, as we tackle this particular text, you're going to find that he is speaking in an era that is from uh, when, when Jeroboam II came to the throne and started to advance Israel, which was in 796, to when King Uzziah dies, which is in 739. It's, it's in this era. Now, during Jeroboam, Israel was expanding. They were, making, they were increasing territory. They were taking back some of the land that they had lost, and these were trying to be pretty good days. When Amos comes to speak to them, he says, your culture is not good. And so as we look at this passage, I want you to focus on what we know about God. God sees, God says, and God serves. When you look at this particular passage, you know that he sees. Because he's recognizing all these different groups. He sees them. Then what you're going to find is in each particular passage that's focused on, it, the word declare is repeated again and again. Thus says the Lord. This is what he declares to the people. See, God speaks. God still speaks. He speaks to our hearts and he speaks through his word. And I want to encourage you to listen to what God has to say. And thirdly, you're going to find that God is not just looking and God is not just saying, but God is doing. And that's why I like the idea of him serving. He accomplishes the will of the Father. God the Son and God the Spirit implement these things. And it's pretty powerful because God has not got a short hand. He can save to the uttermost, but he can also bring the opposite of salvation. He can bring holiness. He can bring his judgment upon people. And it's interesting how he does it. But that is the understanding of this particular text. So if you'll follow along with me, you have your Bibles. If you'll turn first, you'll see in chapter 1 of Amos, you're going to see that Amos starts to, in, to talk about these things. The first point is that God roars. It's in verse 2. We mentioned it last time I preached. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. And thus says the Lord. So the first thing you want to really take focus on is that Amos is telling us that God is real. That God is out there. Sometimes you may feel that he's not. Sometimes you may look at the newspaper and you might not find any reference to God at all. I should have looked at that Cape Gazette. Do they even believe that God exists? Maybe they're telling us that God's not doing anything, hence there's no newsworthy items about God. When you think about it, how would people know God? But he roars. He wants us to know. Otherwise, he would stay silent. 
God speaks. And so if you look particularly, it talks about how uh, when Amos says that God roars, he joins in with Joel, uh, the prophet Joel, who says it in chapter 3, verse 16, that the Lord roars. In other words, when God is going to speak, he makes it bold. He makes it clear. Just like when a lion roars, you hear him. God is wanting to be heard. And then it's interesting how there seems to be an amen to the statement that God makes. Because in that particular passage, Amos says, it's two years before the great earthquake. The earthquake. It's almost like there's an amen to the statement. When the earth shakes. And as I mentioned before, there's been a few other times when the earth has shook. At poignant moments. Particularly when Jesus was on the cross. There was an awareness that the ground below us could not, could not even stay still. What God was doing in pouring out his wrath upon Christ on Calvary. But the earth shakes and it helps to communicate the message to the people there that are in Israel. Now, having laid that foundation that God roars, then secondly, I want to say, what is God roaring about? He reveals things. That's the second point. He is telling us about his reconnaissance. He understands and he discerns what's going on. And there are eight particular cultures that are mentioned here. That's why I mentioned them in the reading of the text. When you look at those cultures, did you see where they are? The first one was Damascus. Or in, excuse me, in verse 3, it was Damascus. In verse 6, it was Gaza. In verse 9, it was Tyre. In verse 11, it was Edom. In verse 13, it was the Ammonites. In verse, uh, then the next verses is Moab. And then it comes in Joab, and then it comes to Israel. Or, excuse me, Judah, and then Israel. When you look at all of these cultures, I have to just tell you that God, that God is focusing on each one. He knows them by name. And he tells us details about them. That's why I use the illustration of the newspaper. It's like Amos gets the paper out and he starts reading, this is what's going on, this is what's going on, this is what's going on. They didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have cable news, right? When God is revealing to his people, you need to see what he sees. This is all a part of faith. Faith is seeing God, it's seeing what God sees. And God sees the beauty of holiness, the ugliness of sin, and the value of souls. And that's what ends up being communicated here in this passage. So when you're looking particularly, you're going to see God reveals these eight different cultures. And if in your mind's eye you could picture them, uh, Amos is from Judah. He's from the south, and he's coming up to the northern kingdom, to Israel. And when he comes up to Israel, he looks at Israel, and he's speaking to the people of Israel. And of course, instead of starting with Israel, guess what he starts doing? It's as if he's, he, in their mind's eye, you know, if I'm, I'm looking at here, you got Israel in your mind. Oh, up on the top is Syria and Damascus. That's, he starts off by saying, you know those people from Syria? You know that culture over there? And then the next thing he picks up is, is Gaza. Well, if you're looking around, you've got Syria and Damascus way up there. Well, Gaza is way down here along the, the Mediterranean Sea. Gaza is better known as the Philistines. There are five cities over there, and they have a port that's right on the Mediterranean. And so he ends up saying, Jose, or Amos is saying to him, you know those people down there in the Philistines? God knows about them too. And then if you look at the third group is the Edomites. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Edomites, but the Edomites, they are descendants of Esau. 
And so they are all, if you're, if you're looking over here, instead of up there on the northeast, they're down here on the, on the southwest or southeast. Uh, they're down there by the Dead Sea and beyond. And the Edomites are, are pretty far south, but uh, they don't have the great land. The fourth group that is mentioned is the, uh, is the Ammonites, the children of Ammon. And then followed by that, you're going to get the children of Moab. Now, both of those groups, they are descendants of Lot. Now, when Abraham and Lot, Lot, his nephew, when they separated, Lot ended up going south to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He ended up being a part of those communities. And God ended up saying, no, you can't stay in Sodom and Gomorrah. You have to flee. And so he was leaving, but his wife didn't want to leave. She had lots of possessions there. And so she turned back. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. She turned into a pillar of salt, Sometimes they say that that's appropriate right down there at the Dead Sea, which is so filled with the minerals. But nevertheless, you have Lot is left with just his daughters, and his daughters end up getting him pregnant, and they have boys. One's named Ammon, and one's named Moab. And they are down there, just a little north. Edom is down this way, so you have Moab and you have uh, and and. Uh, and Ammon. And so these judgments come on those two different groups of people. But before it's all said and done, Amos is still talking to the people of Israel and he says, A. So he's looking over here. So you've got your, oh, he mentions Tyre, which is up there on the upper left, there on the Mediterranean upper north. So, so if you're with me, he's, he's there saying, Your northeast people, the Syrians, are not so good. The Phoenicians over here in Tyre are bad. The Philistines back there, they're not so good. And then he says, Over here, you've got Moab and Ammon, and then you've got Edom, and they're all in trouble too. And so, where else is there? They're south. And so, there he's in Israel, and he says, Oh, yeah, down here where I'm from, that's Judah, southern kingdom. They got problems too. And after he's gone through all the surrounding people, he looks at the Israelites and he says, you got problems too. Do you get it? God is revealing that he knows about lives in each of those cultures. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're doing. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're doing in our culture here today too. Now, when you understand the passage, how it unfolds, there is this poetic license where he says, thus says the Lord for three transgressions and for four. Now, what's he actually saying? Three is the number of completeness. That's what you have in the Trinity. But then you have this and four. It is a a colloquialism that's used in the Old Testament here to say excessiveness. Yes, the sins of these people are significant enough that, that God is saying you can't continue on and pretend that it's all fine. There's three, and then there's an additional to say, you, you've gone way beyond. And he goes and he said that for each of the cultures. Now, when you look at those cultures, I just want you to highlight. I'm going to read what he revealed so you can see them quickly. In the first culture that he reveals is the, is the Syrians with their great city of Damascus. He reveals that they have multiple sins. Ahazel has invaded and subdued the eastern region of Israel. He came down from the, from the top part. He came down into some of the, the parts of Israel. He took the Gileadites. 
That's where Elisha had, Elijah came from, from the land of Gilead. And he, and he captured them and he had cruelty with them. He crushed them under the iron threshing, threshing machines. This whole illustration is, is that the Syrians were mean, almost like the ISIS people. They came in and they treated God's people badly. Elisha had foretold this cruelty just a few years earlier that women would be thrown down like sheaves on the threshing floor. It's really pitiful that God's people would have to go through this kind of suffering. But it was because of idolatry, which he's going to get to. But he says those northern people, they're going to suffer. Then he moves on to the, uh, to the Gaza people, the Philistines, which are down here in the, in the southern part along the Mediterranean. And he says, you have five cities, but he mentions three of them. And he says, there, there's, God will make a full end to those who sought to destroy He says, you're not going to get away with mistreating my people. Flourishing families and magnificent palaces will be destroyed by fire. Fortified cities are going to be leveled to the ground. The fertile regions are going to be uh, depopulated. This is so sad. But God says, you can't get away with mistreating me and my people. Then he mentions the Edomites and their sins, but their, their, their sins is that their atrocities and deeds against the, their northern neighbors, the Gileadites, they ripped up the women with child, their offspring, and they had incest with people. Now, of course, that might seem to be appropriate to link on, on a Sanctity of Life Sunday, the value of the little baby and the pregnant woman. Even scripture here makes mention even those little lives matter because God makes mention of them. And that's why on the front of the bulletin, when you see David's Psalm, Psalm 139, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He made us in secret in those inner parts and he formed us with all those little things, fingers and toes, hearts and lungs. And he gives us a soul that will never die from conception. You see, little lives matter. And God takes notice of all these things. I mentioned about uh, Edom and I mentioned about uh, Moab and, and about, um, about Ammon. They're, they are all in trouble too because they ended up mistreating the people of God. So now let me jump to the two that really surprised me because God is not a respecter of persons. He just doesn't go around and say, oh, every culture is bad. No, he actually looks at each he looks at the people of Judah, and if you, if you follow along in your text, you'll be able to see that, that it's in verse 4 of chapter 2. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his statutes, but their lives have led them astray after those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Whew. He's talking about his own people. God sees what's going on in the culture. And in the particular, this was inside the churched community, the people of Judah. What are they guilty of? They have rejected the word of God. They don't listen to God's laws, and they are following deception. They're listening to liars. And as a result, they're doing foolish things. They're they're being led astray. And this is why God says things have to change. And so when you see that, then he turns to Israel, which is the most powerful statement, because Amos is God's messenger to them. And you see this in verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, my people, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. 
those who trample the herd of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go to the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. I don't even want to read it. I don't want to read it because how can it be that the, that the people of God from the northern kingdom are doing these kind of things? Well, God knows. God knows. And that's why God speaks up. So when I talk about he reveals, God roars because he reveals, but he also requires. And this is the application point for us today, is that when God sees what's going on around and he sees that lives matter, he doesn't just say, oh, well, oh, well, it doesn't matter. No, it all matters. Finish the verse for me. But the wages of sin is death. It matters. You see, when you, if you were to put me on one of those debates where they have the national audience where people are all there and they were to ask you, what is the biggest issue going on in this society? I will definitely tell you it's not global warming. I will tell you that the biggest issue is the need for forgiveness. Because people cannot find that anywhere else except in Christ. And if you don't find forgiveness, what do you have? You have a beating at the wind. You have going on your own understanding. You're leaning, as Proverbs 3 says. You're just doing what's right in your own eyes, Judges chapter 25. That's all the world is doing. They're creating another gospel over and over and over and over again because if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the gospel. And so you're always trying to find another. There's eight cultures mentioned here. Which ones have the gospel? The ones that have the word of God they have the gospel right there. The other ones don't. So the remedy is that God ends up revealing things to them. The word of God is being communicated. It's through people like us. So as you understand the unfolding of this, it's just like saying that the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. That's the same oracle that they were all getting. Is that you're not going to be able to get God's smile and God's grace and God's uh, blessing when he has to punish sin. Exodus 34, 7. There is, there is a, a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to destruction. And God will by no means clear those who are guilty. So when you, look, when you understand how God's reign requires, he requires a payment. And hence, as, he, as Amos is standing to the people of God, he says, there's going to be a requirement out of the people in, Samaria, in, in Syria. There's going to be a requirement for the people in Tyre. There's going to be a requirement for the people down at Edom. There's going to be a requirement for the people in Philistia. There's going to be a requirement in a lot of us. Then uh, he mentions the other ones. So when you realize it, let me make the application to you now, is that God knows your culture. God knows your culture. And if he knows your culture, there's going to be a requirement in your life too. If, this, if the wages of sin is death, then there's going to be a payment that's required. Are you able to pay it? And the answer is no. That is why the message of hope is seen even in Amos. When he brings these oracles of judgment, he is the, he is the one that's, picture, that's pointing us to the one who will make the payment. Who will take the judgment? If you were there in the Sunday school this morning, we showed pictures of Gethsemane. It's where our Lord Jesus, who was born in the fields of Bethlehem, not far from where Tekoa is, Jesus ended up going to Gethsemane and beginning to take 
what we deserved. It's as if Jesus stands up to the Father and he says, not, don't give them what they deserve. It's required that they receive death, but I will take it for them. And they led him away to Jerusalem, where the Lamb of God was being taken to the slaughter. And it was there at the cross on Calvary that he paid it in full. I want to finish this message simply by saying this, is that when you look at Amos, instead of just seeing the misery that's going to be coming around, because let me tell you, everybody is included under that. It's like the book of Romans chapter 1. If you read chapter 1, 2, and 3, what do you conclude? Well, Paul concludes that you can finish the verse with me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So if you're, if you're tracking with me, if you're tracking with me, and right now we're wrapping things up over here, is that, that God is saying that, just like in Romans 1 and 2 and 3, is that sin is serious. But at the end of chapter 3, he says, but there is hope in Christ. And there's hope today, too. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we know that you 